zimrat ya Listening to Rabbi Ariel Scholklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Hi, everybody. This is Rob Ariel. This is the start of a new series, um, or we've been in it a little while now, but we're interviewing teachers from across the world in the Jewish mindfulness arena. And the aim is to teach you new things, expose you to new opportunities, and give you some hands on skills for your journey, not just some kind of fluff. So we're going to ask that you share with a friend uh, because this is free and register. Give us five stars reviews. Um, that's how you can give to back to us for our ongoing work. So uh, I want to give a prayer for our time together today that the light and strength and ease that we can cultivate together can ripple out into our lives and that that will bring us better fulfillment, more peace in our relationships, and that that actually ripples out not only in our immediate community, but into the lives of all the people who we touch and out into the world. And hopefully that'll be a, a come quickly in our, in, and we can see that the fruit of that soon. I wanna introduce today Cantor Lizzie Shamash, who I got to know several years ago in our teacher training program. Um, and I've loved to watch her teach and she teaches yoga and, um, and Jewish mindfulness and she's an incredible operatic singer. And so you'll be able to catch all of those uh, content pieces and ways to follow up with her in the show notes down below. And um, you'll be able to follow up with her generally later but I wanted to invite her here to teach us a little bit and we'll hear about her story and how she got here. And uh, hopefully that'll be very interesting to all of you too. So hi, Lizzie. Hi, Ariel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here with you. Thank you. Really so nice you to practice together. One thing that you didn't mention in the introduction is that we train together, but then we see each other on these retreats uh, out in California, and so we're 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 really part of a, a glorious special chevra. Ongoing so. training. Like, yes. Like I don't feel like I don't feel like either of us. I feel like the best of us don't ever feel like we're the training is over. If that's for sure. So yeah, yeah. Continuing, ongoing. Do you want to? Um, is there something that I missed about that? I, I, the intro. People can read your kind of bio offline. No, you got it. You did great. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Good. So uh, do you want to lead us in a, in a practice or do you want to tell us about what practice you'll lead us in and then lead us in? Yeah, I would love to. So this is essentially, uh, friends, this is a practice for equanimity. And we're going to approach it in a couple of ways. We're going to do a short breathing practice. 
And then I want to share a piece of text and a, a drash, a commentary on that text that helps us cultivate equanimity for ourselves. That's the rough outline. So if you'll join me in taking a comfortable seat, and that could be on a chair, if you prefer seated on a cushion or a blanket on the floor, somewhere where you can be comfortable, find your seat. You may want to have your back supported by the back of the chair or by a wall behind you, or you may just like to um, allow your spine to rise up out of your pelvis, nice and tall, and let your back be sort of freestanding. Let your shoulder blades slide down your back. Just take your, your shoulders away from your ears and allow your hands to rest comfortably on your thighs or in your lap hands clasped, however feels comfortable. You may wish to close your eyes if that feels safe and comfortable, or you may wish to keep your eyes gently open, gaze soft. Just let the gaze fuzz out a little so that your eyes aren't working very hard. Feel yourself in the chair or against whatever seat is holding you. Feel the weight of your body. See if you can let your pelvis drop. Let it surrender to the presence of whatever is holding you. And now bring your attention to your breathing. In the belly, through the torso, in the chest. Coming and going. Inhaling and exhaling. There's nothing you have to do or manipulate or change. Just follow that breath, just noticing. Ah, breath is coming in, breath is going out. You might notice where it feels free, where it feels stuck. Just noticing sensation of breath coming and going. And now we're going to move into what we call equal breathing. So we're gonna inhale for four counts and exhale for four counts. You can join me. Just taking a normal breath in 
and out to begin. And now inhaling one, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. Inhale, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. In, two, three, four. X, two, three. Four. Keep this going in your own breath and you can silently do the counting for yourself. And you can modulate if you need a longer breath or a shorter breath. It's not the length that matters, it's the evenness we're looking for. Striving to make the inhale equal to the exhale, balancing one with the other. Just keep this going for a few more cycles like this on your own. When you complete your next cycle, you can allow the breath to just move freely, coming and going as it is, stopping the counting. I want to share a teaching from Rabbi Shefa Gold on a text from Exodus from Shirat Hayam, the Song of the Sea, as the Israelites are actually crossing the sea after they cross and they sing. The text is Ozi Vizimratia Vayehili Lishua. Ozi, my strength, Vizimratia, and the song of God, the song of Yah, the divine song. Vayehili Lishua will be for me salvation, Yeshua. And Shefa does a beautiful, beautiful explication of this text. She says, this is the balance of oz, of strength or will. And then on the other hand, of surrender. Zimratia, the God song, the giving over to the God song, the divine, the divine internal plan song, these are the two balancing factors which allow for my salvation, my freedom, right? And she even uh, has, uh, she has a chant to go with this, which I'll sing for you in a moment. There's also a hand gesture, which when she says, Ozi, my strength, she takes her right hand, mystically in our tradition, it's the right is the strength, and she makes a fist with the right hand. And you could do that now, just feeling that fist, that tightness with your right hand, that strength, that will. And with the left hand, Zimrat Ya, when she sings, she opens the palm and spreads the fingers. 
a surrender. And then the third part, Vayehi Li Lishua, she brings the two hands together so that the fist rests in the palm. And we feel that balance, that equanimity of these two forces. I'll share with you for a moment a few rounds. If you'd like, you can use the hand gestures. You can sing along with me. And then we'll just sit quietly to finish up this, this sitting session. Ozi Vezimratya again noticing the breath coming and going as we close perhaps a little more even a little more steady in the breath the body the mind and the heart and as you're ready allow the eyes to open if they've been closed Come back to the space you're in, the light, the texture, the color. And thank you for practicing. Thank you. I invite everybody to also put a smile on your face as we <laughs> as we are like, doing. <laughs> it's all, it's like a, it's like you get this opportunity to however you're feeling, do something physical that might help sweeten it. 
And mm -hmm. I think this, the smile is such an easy way to do that. So that was yeah. lovely. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And I welcome, uh, if you're listening, to go back and even put it on repeat, just cycle through for yourself and chant that for a few minutes, or you can make that part of your practice. What a lovely practice to do. And I love the, the combination of movement as well. And I guess I did introduce you as a cantor and an opera singer, but I guess now you everybody knows no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. You're... That was my inside voice. That was my that was my small voice. <laughs> I know. I've heard I've heard your uh your your performances and absolutely that is your definitely your quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Trying not to wake up the Don't scare me. don't scare the people while they're meditating. <laughs> oh man. So um, this for me is an, is an interesting way to get to know you a little bit more because I know that both of us share, uh, some backgrounds, um, that we're both kind of like half Ashkenazi, half Sephardi or, or Baghdadi or somewhat kind of not, not Ashkenazi, which means, um, there's kind of like the, um, the European Jews, and then there's kind of Jews who are Ashkenazi and people who are, are not European from other parts of the Mideast or, you know, even Africa. Um, and I'm curious how that plays into your, the way that you interpret Judaism. If you're, if you've, maybe you've thought about it. I know that it's like front and center on your website. It's one of the first things that you talk about. So it seems like it'd probably be an important aspect of you. And I'm curious how that interplays with the way that you view Judaism. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's front and center on my website in my bio simply because many years ago, um, one of my lovely mentors crafted that sentence. It was really his, his uh, need for people to know that I came from both Ashkenaz and from a Mizrahi family, specifically Baghdadi. And I loved the sentence so much that I just keep it in. But- um, Well, it left an impact on me for sure. Yeah, but that aside, no, it's very true. My mom is American born, uh, first generation of um, Latvian Russian descent. And my father uh, immigrated to the U.S. in 1947 from Baghdad. So he's really very direct from the Baghdadi tradition. And truth be told, I was raised in Western Massachusetts in an Ashkenazi shul and day school. And, um, you know, at a time when we weren't really celebrating Jewish diversity, uh, that's newer. So I didn't really come into my embrace of um, Iraqi pride, I don't think until my 30s. I didn't grow up on Iraqi cooking as much as on the Ashkenazi cooking. Also, I should say my mother's mother, the Latvian grandmother, lived with us when I was growing up and used to lullaby me to sleep in Yiddish every night. Wow. So on the one hand, we had Yiddish in the household. And then on the other hand, my father would pick up the phone and speak in Arabic. Um, but I'm much more facile. I, I really speak maybe five words of Arabic, but, I, but I'm, I'm much more facile in Yiddish. Um, so I, I think I feel um, mm, 
just uh, a benefactor of such rich traditions. And, um, you know, I'm a Gemini, so it like, it feeds in that, uh, these, these traditions, I think really do live within me, you know, and, but the, uh, the Iraqi part is something I've had to, uh, seek out a little more, um, in Israel, you know, through foods and through, through friends I've met. And, um, I think you're probably not the only one uh, of, uh, it just seems like in, a, I don't know if it's just generally, but in America, especially, it seems like the dominant mode of Judaism seems to be, I mean, this is not the topic of the conversation, but yeah, yeah. dominant mode does seem to be more on the um, side of things. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to find it. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I similarly grew up where even though I got the foods and the thing and the home rituals, like everything I was taught formally was in an Ashkenazi framing. Right. Right. It's, it's an interesting thing, but I guess to the topic of why we're here is, so how did you find Jewish mindfulness or mindfulness generally? And, yeah. or if you found one before the other, probably you found one before the other. What yeah, was the route there? What was the what? What was the route? How did you? What was the route? Yeah. So I think I found the 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 um, all people's mindfulness first, and uh, I I think one of the first moments was I was a music student, a vocal student at the Aspen Music Festival for the for the summer in 1992, and you know that was a time when not everybody was meditating yet for sure. And oh. if you can just imagine the luxury of spending nine weeks in the mountains in the Rockies, just your only job is to study music, perform music, learn music, you know, wow. live and breathe music. And we had this one teacher who was teaching a meditation class. And the idea of it was because, uh, concentration is needed when you're on stage, you know, and now we know through research, right, this idea of flow state, that's a thing that happens when, when you're making music and when it's at its best, when you're on stage, it's really, you're out of time and you're super concentrated. And we know that now to be called flow state. So she was trying to begin to give us the, that idea. And she gave us, I remember cassette tapes, with short meditations and, and encouraged us, you know, to try and meditate a little every day. And she said one thing which has stuck with me just forever. And she said, tension is an anesthetic to itself. The idea being that when you are more and more and more tense in your body, you feel less and less. So tension like anesthetizes tension. The more tight you are, the more numb you are. And as a musician, you really want to not be tight. You want to loosen up. I thought that was just one of the most brilliant things I'd ever heard. So that was kind of my start to mindfulness, a very practical. And following that within the year after that, my voice teacher at the time said, you know, you, you need to practice yoga as a, as a singer. And when you're in your early twenties, your voice teacher is like your Rebbe, 
they whatever. tell you to do something, yeah. you go and you you do it, you learn it, whatever. So so here I was with these gifts. I started practicing yoga, which is essentially meditation in motion. And um, and I really took to it. My body took to it. My singing took to it. Everything started to blossom. And I think on top of that, I knew um, really around that time that I needed mental balance to be a, just to be a human. <laughs> it's a good idea. And also to be a performer. You really need to find mental stability and mental balance. And so I began to uh, meditate as well as practice yoga. And then... I didn't, it didn't come into the Jewish world until later. I went back to, I went to cantorial school maybe a whole decade after that. Uh, I had been doing a little bit of cantorial work, but I, I went to Jewish theological seminary. And, um, you know, I kind of, when I had started in the secular world, meditating and practicing yoga, I had this sense of, oh, that word kavana, that, you know, kavana that I've heard before. Yeah. I think this is what this is what I always was trying to get out of the synagogue. And I, I was a person actually who really enjoyed to go to the synagogue. I used to go with my father every Shabbat morning, more or less. But I loved the music and I loved the feeling of sitting next to my dad. But I, I wasn't really being carried somewhere spiritually. When I got on my yoga mat, Whoa. That's spiritual. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So when it started to join forces, that was like, I can have the Jewish and the, and the mind. Whoa. So, so I think by the time I got to cantorial school, um, it was, uh, the, the Jewish mindfulness movement was gaining some force. And I remember at that time, Rabbi Jonathan Slater's book, Mindful Jewish Living was just coming out and he came to talk to us. And of course, um, Alan Liu's books were out. And so really what was happening for me was a homecoming because I had already done a lot of reading of John Kabat-Zinn and Pema Chodron. And I had done yoga teacher training before cantorial school. And so we had a lot of Buddhist training and meditation training within that. So, so then I was just adding the Jewish to the stuff I had. And then from there, the, you know, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. So how does it, what is the Jewish mindfulness? Like, how is that different to you? Or what does it mean to you when it's Jewish mindfulness? It's in the kishkas. It's like from the neshama. Now that we've been talking about the, the Ashkenaz stuff and, you know, been, uh, why not live in the Yiddish words? Um, it roots it so firmly in my being because these, these mindfulness teachings that I was kind of shocked as, as I started to study, you know, I was in the clergy leadership program of Institute for Jewish Spirituality, and then, you know, the program you and I did together, the Jewish Mindfulness Meditation and Teacher Training, and we would read these, these um, Hasidic texts, and I would think, that's in yoga philosophy. I know that already as, you know, such and such a term in Sanskrit, and it's like, this is right here. It's right here in our tradition, and uh, our teacher, Sheila, said to me, well, yes, you know, but also Jonathan is uh, zhuzhing up the, the translation such to, to really bring out this, this language that we use, right? This tam, this flavor of mindfulness. So, so I would just, I, the, it's the, like, 
rooting the mindfulness in the Torah cycle and the holiday cycle. And like, I'm really into the moon and our, our lunar calendar and like, you know, Hey guys, um, you know, look for the full moon at two, you'll know it's two Bishvat because you'll see a full moon. Like all, this is so incredible. Um, you know, it's Rosh Hashanah. There's no moon. It's Sukkot, full moon. I, I love that, uh, that it's just right there in the, in the water we're drinking, right? In the air we breathe. So they're very seamless, the Jewish practice and the mindfulness. It's almost like the mindfulness practice is great and wonderful and gave you a lot of the focus and the clarity and the kind of um, body move mechanics and, spiritual, and a spiritual connection too. But for a certain crowd, it's like, it's not going to hit the, hit you in the guts. It's not going to make you, it's not going to have the language around the Bible or the rhythm of the seasons, or it's almost like we, it's like, if you wanted to be connected to your Jewish roots also. Right. Possible now because of the work that the Jonathan Slater's have done and, and that we continue to do. And, you know, I don't know that. I see myself as part of that. I mean, I know that you are, you're doing, you're teaching on a weekly basis yeah. and probably you're not thinking of yourself as the trailblazer, but you are in some way. Yeah, but no, no, I'm, I'm not. But I, what I do know is that, um, you know, I have my yoga students weekly and I, I, we've been, we've been doing this through the pandemic and it's now something like 20 months or I, you know, I'm not counting. It's a long time and I watch them growing. So it's true. I see that. I wouldn't say necessarily trailblazer, but um, I feel that I am planting seeds and I am watching those those seeds grow in in my students. And that's um, a pleasure. It's an honor. And um, yes, it's exactly that. You know, there are beautiful mindfulness teachings. I, I, I treasure them. Right. But when it's in our own tradition, it just, it hits home in such a way that, you know, it feels like it's ours, right? Yeah. Did you feel like that was, or, or missing growing up or is it, was it like, what, why is it so important, I guess, that we'd be doing this, these things together? The Jewish and the mindfulness together? Yeah. I mean, for Judaism generally, or do you see- I, I, you know, I, I think everybody's different, but um, not everyone, not everyone is a seeker, right? But you and I and, and those who are, are seeking this way, like we, we really, we're, we're seekers. And ultimately, what is it that we want in this lifetime? You know, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of peace, a little bit of... Um, taking in our life with gratitude, with awe, like we want to really be present. I think that's something that we all want so that as our life comes to a close, God willing, it should be a long life. Um, we can say we, we feel proud. We're not regretful. We've lived it well. We feel good about this time. We have an understanding while we're here alive that that in itself is a gift. It's a gift every day. I mean, our liturgy tells us, and we we do 
you know, every morning wake up and say, I'm grateful. You know, you didn't have to give me my soul back this morning, but here we are. This is great. I know one day you're going to take it away from me. But most of the time we're all living on autopilot, right? So uh, I think it's that sense. That's why the Jews need it. That's why all the people need it, you know, because if we can have one more one more ounce of freedom this year than we had last year. If we can really, you know, one of the central themes of, of our story, right, is Yitziat Mitzrayim, the coming out of Egypt, the exodus. Every day there's, a, there's an exodus from restricted places, constricted places, constricted ways of thinking. And if we can get a little bit smarter, a little more balanced, shouldn't we strive for that? Yeah. And if we have practices that can help us do that. Exactly. In addition to the ones that have been, that are in our prayer books, right. Or that we can couple with the ones in our prayer books. Like you're doing a movement based based practice that, you know, there is movement in Jewish prayer, but by and large, it's like sitting and standing and it's not going to be as elaborate as a yoga practice. And there is singing as well, like the the song that you, or the chant that you started us on is one of the prayers or the chants that's in every single morning's liturgy. So that actually could be something that somebody takes into their practice as a daily morning practice to actually practice. What is it like to strive? What is it going to be like to, to strive to be strong today, but also to know that I'm not in full control? today and to be able to put those together and to remind yourself it's like almost like you can prime yourself to be able to receive the day a little bit better or you know a little bit more connected yeah with, with your highest possibility through those kinds of practices yeah so when did you start teaching and what was the motivation for that teaching the yoga teaching meditation uh, Jewish mindfulness or yoga? Teaching or, I mindfulness? Don't I don't know the longer um, journey, but. Yeah. So um, I think I finished uh, the first IJS program in 2015. And then I think we finished our program maybe 2017, Did something be. like that. 16, 2016. Somewhere in there, maybe around 2015. I started teaching a little bit of yoga in the synagogue um, on Shabbat mornings, sometimes on a holiday. And soon after that, I started leading uh, what we called the contemplative service, which was an alternative service that had some chant and some sitting. And it was it had Torah reading and all of that. Um, but but it was kind of uh, pared down and this idea of making it a more um, contemplative space. And then the other thing I taught, actually, I think the thing I started teaching first was um, meditation during the Omer, because of course that's a beautiful period in which to, to practice self-study. And it wasn't even that I wanted to do it. It was that the program director at the time pushed me and she said, I think you have this skill. You should do that. And this was before IJS even. I think this might have been around 2011 or 12. And I have to thank her because she got me started. 
And I had this, this small group of, of majority women that we would meet once a week in the Omer and I would give a teaching and we would sit and we would learn to meditate. And so every year they kept asking for it again. So I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't get out of it. I was stuck. <laughs> I had this group of Hasidim as it were, who were like, Cantor Lizzie, we're doing that, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, we're doing that. So it kind of all came along. And then more recently, um, uh, so when the, when the pandemic began, um, I started teaching Jewish yoga on, on zoom and really made that my weekly Kavua regular practice that I needed to prepare and show up for. And it's been one of, one of my saving things. It's been great. It's been amazing. Yeah. So I'm, thank you for sharing that. I'm curious yeah. also, I'm going to just keep asking questions. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm curious how you feel or, or how you feel like these practices end up showing up in your off practice time in, in, ter in terms of your not meditating time, you're not yoga time, you're not chanting time. How do, how do you feel like these practices influence the rest of your day? Yeah, that's like the question. That's the great question because that's what we want, right? We we don't sit to be great meditators. We sit to do better in our lives, you know. And I always say we don't we don't do yoga. We don't practice yoga to bend further. We do it to practice yoga off the mat, right? And yoga means union. So, um, you know, and particularly union with divine source, right? Or dvekut, you could say, this, this cleaving to God. Um, I find that it shows up a lot in my time, you know, when I'm not practicing in mostly, well, sometimes with myself, but even better yet in relationship with others, you mm. know, like, yeah. like, like when I, when I'm about to yell at my husband and I say, ah, is that the best choice? And I can, and I'm mindful in that moment, are the words I'm about to say, is this a smart thing to do, you know, or can I just take one breath, feel my belly rise and fall, feel my feet on the floor and decide if I need to say that. And those mo those tiny moments um, can have big ripple effects, can't they? We all know that. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, or, or, or in a meeting, you know, I might be, maybe I'm in a work meeting and I I'm feeling annoyed with a colleague and then I can just contact my own breath for a few, you know, if I remember, right. The first thing we have to do is remember, and then I can contact my own breath and then I can say, well, you know, I know that I know that so-and-so actually is feeling really stressed out and has deadlines. And I could, instead of just just emitting even for myself annoyance, I could have compassion. And then I, I might go into a blessing practice and just take a breath in and, you know, say, may, may my colleague uh, feel peace. May my colleague feel happy, you know, whatever, whatever words that are coming in the moment. So all the time, right? It's almost like it helps give you the freedom. Yes. And, I, and I probably shouldn't have like framed it that way quite because I think all of life is practice. But I think what I meant to say is um, formal practice time versus 
you know, the rest of life, which is all practice, right? It's, it's almost like there's at a certain point, if you practice this enough, and I think that this is what we're saying when we say mindfulness, we're not talking about just the meditation is the meditation, but the mindfulness is what extends out through the umbrella of our entire life. And I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm working for. I, I guess, does this, do you feel, or how do you feel like this connects you to divine or what is it, How's your relationship with that? Because when we become present, when I'm, when I feel really fully here, fully anchored, then I'm aware that what am I but a vessel of the divine source, right? And in that moment when I notice that, when I'm, when I'm open to that, when I, when I feel what that is, there's an Im immense amount of gratitude or of, of love, appreciation that wells up. Mm. Um, and because I know I'm, uh, a vessel of the divine source an emanation of the divine source, I, I understand myself to be in a community of, um, of, of the same, you know, people around me. So it, it kind of goes in all the directions towards others, towards God, um, it, if I'm praying and, you know, I, I'm really present, I'm really, I'm not just saying words. I'm really feeling the liturgy and the, the connection with my creator, like, exist in that moment for myself, right? So, the, so prayer becomes stronger. Um, I also, you know, in terms of relationship with the divine, um, I really like the practice of Hitbodadut very much. Reb Nachman's, uh, Bratslav's instructions to, you know, go out and to speak to God as if God is your best friend, just directly every day for a period of time. And at first it feels so weird to do that. And uh, um, it's a practice that I enjoy very much. Sometimes I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my hitbodu do when I'm walking the dog. And I just, I, uh, I sort of mumble under my breath. And I, I know like, you know, I kind of look around, just make sure there are no people really quite around. But I just talk to God quietly, you know, me, the dog, and God. Um, and it starts to feel less and less like there's any separation. Uh, as our teacher, Jeff Roth says, you know, it's all God and nothing but God, right? So, so when we, the fruits of our practice, I think our understanding that not just in words, but every once in a while, like, a, you really, you like your whole being senses that. I think a lot of people will hope for that. Right. Like, like they grew up wanting that to be what they get in their practice in by showing up to the synagogue you know once a year or whatever however many times they show up and i i think i've talked to more and more people who 
they feel like they went to, the, they did the thing they were supposed to do. They got their suit on or whatever, right? Pre-pandemic, they went into the synagogue space. They sat there for three hours or whatever, however long the service was. They came home and they don't feel any different. They didn't have that kind of a moment. Right. And for me, this is like a, this is a daily way to have that kind of lifestyle. It's not just it happens once in a while. It gives you the opportunity for this kind of interaction to be present, this kind of spiritual connection to be there all throughout life on those little moments between you and, and your loved ones, in those walks with the dog, in the prayer moments that you might install into your life, and in the boardroom and whatever, right? Everywhere you go, you can have a sense of this connection. And it seems like the, the meditation and yoga and the Jewish mindfulness practices that we're infusing within the Jewish tradition are allowing for that to be accessible in our own lives. I mean, in my life, I'll say, I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying. It sounds like you have that as well. And I, I think that's the place from which I'm teaching, or this is what the purpose of this kind of like space is for, so people can understand that's possible, right? And it's not that we're holding ourselves out as like gurus here that we, you know, we don't have any challenges, but to say that it is possible to have a robust spiritual life within the Jewish frame or within, you know, whatever frame you're working in that can really inform your life and, and make you feel connected more often than not. Yeah, and you just said something so important to 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 me. It's something I want to remember, well, just kind of let our listeners really know. I think one thing that I have appreciated so much about our teachers is they never hold themselves above. Really the opposite. They you know, they say practice. It's we're just a little further on the journey that we're walking and our practice is more established. But all we're doing is continuing to practice together. And this word practice, practice, practice is always used. It's like, um, uh, what are, you know, we're, we don't feel the benefits, you know, unless we really devote a lifetime of, of, of practice to it. Yeah. Yeah. So for all y'all who are listening to this and are inspired, know that it's possible and that we're here to help you along your way. And there are people who led us before us. We didn't get here by ourselves, right? People, somebody gave you a cassette tape. Um, <laughs> Irene Gabrud. Irene Gabrud gave me a cassette tape. Thank That's you, right. Irene, because uh, without you, we may not be sitting here today. And um, and now we're kind of creating our own versions of those kind of cassette tapes um, for people to be able to practice with and continue their own journey. And um, there's no there's no shame in that. It's part of the process. It's like we have to learn from somebody. We have to have somebody who's a few steps ahead of us on the path to help us do this. So I'm curious how people can uh, reach you and work with you and continue their practice with you or how you'd like people to be in touch with you or what, what's going on in that arena? Sure. People can find me from my website, uh, which is Elizabeth Shamash with two M's.com, Elizabeth Shamash.com. And there's a, there's an area to write to me. Um, and I would love to hear from you. 
Cool. Great. Thank you. And I'll make sure to put a link down in the comments as well so that you can, anybody can connect with you that way. Super. Do you want to uh, lead us out with the, the prayer for our time today? Sure. Yeah. Hmm. I pray that in uh, this time, in any time of challenge, that we might be able to just take that one breath, that one inhale, that one exhale, to find some balance, just find our feet on the floor, um, find ourselves right here, able to um, direct ourselves to the moment as needed, whether it's with more will or with more surrender. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to ravariel.com that's www.ravariel.com take our free trial do the self-learn path or try group coaching or even come apply to work with me one-on-one and you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer more mindful and happier with your life so come on down www.ravariel.com A-R-I-E-L dot com. See you there.